guys. So glad that you could join us again on a Wednesday night. I am loving this time that we have together to journey through the Psalms, this time we have together to worship midweek in the evening. I think it's so great for us to gather like this. So thanks for joining us. I hope you guys are interacting in the comments and enjoying the conversation as this is the way that we're gathering for now. I know that uh, the governor said that we can start phasing in and opening things up, but for now, it's, it's still wise for us to tiptoe and interact digitally as best as we can. And I think it's wise for us to continue to spend time in the Word, for us to get a double dose of teaching from the Scriptures throughout the week through this midweek worship time. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Tonight, we're going to be in Psalm 127. It's a shorter psalm, so we may not be here very long. Or we might be here all night because it's so rich. It's got a lot of good stuff that applies to who we are, what we're going through, even in this season. And it's one that you might have heard before, but I, I don't want to take that for granted. I want us to really dig into it. This is a section in the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Most, uh, most Jews would make a, an ascent or a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would go, they would worship, they would go for the festivals. And they would go bring an offering to the temple, and on their way to the pilgrimage, on their way to Jerusalem, they would sing songs. Uh, this one was written by Solomon, we believe. It might have been David, but most people have agreed that it's written by Solomon, and it was written so that we could sing it as we go make our offering to the Lord, as we go celebrate God for who he is and remember what he's doing in our lives. I, I know we just finished singing a couple songs, so I'm not going to say let's sing this together. Uh, but if you're if you're wanting to, you can sing all five verses of this psalm right there from the comfort of your home, television, computer, phone, however you're consuming this. Feel free to sing, but I'm probably just going to read as we break it down. And as we break it down, I, w- I want you to think through what this looks like for you. How does this convict you? Because as I read it, each time I read through it, I thought, man, that that kind of stung. Or that, that reminds me of, of how I'm, I'm kind of wayward over here. I'm off over here. And as we've learned this new normal for six weeks, and then we're going to spend the next six weeks figuring out what the next normal looks like, and then we'll spend 12 weeks moving on to the next season, I think it's well worth considering our intentions, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. And I think the first couple verses of this psalm help us address that. So let's read just the first two verses of Psalm 127 together. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I think this is timely for this season. This is timely for how I'm bent and how I'm wired, because it's talking about building and laboring and working. It's talking about guarding and protection, protecting. And these are things that, as a man, I feel called to do. I feel like I need to be working. I need to provide for my family. I need to work hard because I don't, I don't want to go halfway into a job. I have more integrity and character, to, character than that, I'd like to think. But I think a lot of us, we get all caught up in trying to build the house and trying to work on our own, under our own power, for our own purposes, for our own recognition and our own glory. But when we labor in vain, it doesn't get built the right way. When we work for us, we're working for the wrong person. Because the builders who 
build in vain are building without the Lord in mind. People watching over the city, unless they're allowing the Lord to watch with them, guard with them, unless they're leaning in to Jesus as our hope, as our protection, as our guard, we're doing it in vain under our own power. And I think over time, many of us have already experienced, myself included, that we only have so much power. We only have so much ability. We can only work so hard. And at the end of the day, at the end of a, a hard working day, we get up the next morning and we have another one. And we just keep working and toiling in vain. This is where I think it kind of relates to Solomon writing this because Solomon wrote a whole book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes where he talks about vanity, how we work in vain. Everything under the sun is vain. Everything on this side of the heaven is, is meaningless until we get to that eternal life. And he's not saying, you know, our lives are pointless, just do whatever. He's saying we need to lean into God and his hope for us and his calling for us. And that's where we find the meaning. That's where we find the hope. That's where we find the reality. So in vain, you rise early and you stay up late. In vanity, you build without the Lord's presence. Vanity is not something we should aim for. Vanity is one of those words that points to our pride. It points to us thinking more of ourselves, thinking about ourselves more. And if you joined us for the joyful series we've been going through on on the weekends, on Sunday, we just finished a weekend where we talked about vanity in a way of we need to think of others more than we think of ourselves. We need to consider others' needs ahead of our own. And so that Philippians 2 passage points well to this Psalm 127 passage. I I like to think about when I work, how I work. I, I think back to what Paul wrote when he was writing to the church of the Colossians, and he's writing a letter to them encouraging them on how to live a life that honors the Lord. He's writing them encouraging how to interact with other believers, how to interact with non-believers, what we should be doing. And he wrote a verse in there that many of us have heard before that I wanted to read that can remind us of how we're called to work, what we're supposed to be doing. And so in Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as working for the Lord and not men. I love that because he's not saying, hey, just don't work hard. Let me take care of it. He's saying, whatever you do, work hard. You should work hard. That honors God. That honors your character. That, that honors your efforts. And it brings glory to God when we work hard because that's a good thing. But we should work hard for God because we've been called to a new standard. We've been called to a new hope, a new way to love, a new way to live. And that new standard should show people what it looks like to honor God with our work. Because if we go to work and we clock in and, and we're only working half as hard but staying the whole time, that's not really honoring our employer. That's, that's time card theft. We're just there eating up time so we can get paid. But instead, we, we should work hard and, and we'll earn a living for working hard. Some of us feel like we should earn more because we work so hard. Some of us feel like others shouldn't earn as much because they don't work as hard as us. But really, it's where's your heart when you're working? Work heartily as working for the Lord and not men. I think that also speaks to when you're building a house, if you build it without the Lord, you build in vain. But if you're working hard for the Lord and not men, you should recognize who's my employer, who's my supervisor, who's my boss. Because some of us, 
we don't like our boss. We don't think they work as hard. We don't think they deserve that role that they're in. Uh, we, we don't value them as an employer. But when we're working for the Lord and not men, we don't necessarily focus as much on what does my boss think of me? But at the end of the day, we think, how did I honor the Lord in my work today? How did I serve the Lord? Was I working in vain? In vanity, was I getting up early to go to work, to make myself feel better, to fill my time, to escape my home? Whatever it may be, how are we working to honor the Lord? I think work reflects our heart. Work reflects our desire. Work reflects our priorities as well. So back in verse 1, he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. We get up early so that we can go toil and work hard to get food. And we stay up late because we need to work harder to get more things, to accumulate more wealth. And a lot of us are just trying to do everything that we can do and, and leave you know something up to God. It's like, God, if you'll just give me the, the energy to wake up today, I'll take care of the rest. I'll work hard. I'll earn a living. I'll take care of my family. But I think work throws off our priorities from what God would have for us. Because a lot of us find our value in, in work. A lot of us think that without a job, we don't have as much worth. Or without the next level up, without the next promotion, without my overtime pay, I'm not worth as much. And I think mathematically, when you look at your paycheck, it might change a little bit. But what's your heart? Are you just working hard so you can spend more money frivolously? Are you working hard so that you might just get more recognition, more plaques, more medals and ribbons at work, a new bonus? What are you working for? And why are you working for it? Jesus talks about work a little bit in this. In Matthew chapter 6, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And I think he alludes to the fact that if the Lord doesn't build with us, we labor in vain. Because he's talking about how we should worry and how we should not worry. What we should care about and what we should not care about. In verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And I think that's so cool. He's saying, hey, we, we see birds flying over all the time. In this season, I've had more time to watch nature and see, wow, there's, squirrels are always eating. That's all they do. They eat and then they run across the road and they eat some more. Birds seem to have the energy to fly around and tweet at all hours of the day. That's God taking care of them. So yeah, they, they work pretty diligently to dig up the worm, to go find the acorn, but God provides it for them. God makes sure that they're cared for well. And then Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think, can any one of you, by worrying or by working harder or by thinking more of your work, add an hour to your life? Does your worth go up? Does your value go up by working harder, by making more money? Because it seems like the more money we make, the more problems we have. Our $5 problems turn into $50 problems. And if our income goes up by $5,000, surely there's going to be a problem that rolls around that's about $5,000. That's just the way things seem to go sometimes. But I think if we lean into the Lord, we can see that he's still up to something good in our $5,000 problems. He's still up to something good through the way that we work. Because people will see the way we work. They'll say, what's going on with how he works, how she works? Always joyful, always working diligently, 
never cutting corners, not partaking in the workplace gossip, not cheating the system like the rest of us are. I think when people see that sets us apart, our work stands out and God gets glory. And I'm not saying if you work hard, then you'll become richer and that's what God wants for you. Sometimes you need to work hard and you may not make more money at all, but we can still honor God with our character. We can still honor God with our integrity if we labor alongside him. And Jesus goes on to say, you worry about your clothing, you worry about what you eat, but I'm going to take care of all that. God clothes the the grass of the field. God feeds the birds of the air. But if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, in verse 33, he says, all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus reminds us, when we labor in vain, we're, it, it's pointless, it's meaningless. God's going to provide for us, and he always does, just like the birds, just like the grass, the lilies of the field. But many of us don't see that provision because we feel like if we aren't earning that extra dollar, working those extra hours, then we aren't able to eat the way we want to eat, live the way we want to live. And we've set these standards way too high. I need to have enough money so I can buy six monsters every day to give myself the energy that I need to get through the day. When really, Solomon wrote, it's in vanity that you rise early and you stay up late. You're toiling, you're chugging energy drinks, you're chugging coffee just to stay awake, when really maybe what you need is rest. Maybe what you need is to stop worrying so much. Stop staying up late doing all the emails, finishing all the reports. Let's work during our time of work and honor God by working hard and diligently in that time. But let's also give some credit to sleep. I I love getting up early. I love staying up late. But a lot of the times the reason that, that I get up early or that I stay up late are vain. I want to get up early to have me time so I can get an extra workout in. I want to stay up late so that I can eat ice cream without my kids seeing that I'm eating ice cream and wanting to eat it all. I want to stay up late so I can just consume all of the Netflix binges that I'm participating in. When really what I need is rest so that I have the energy to get through the day so I can work diligently, heartily for the Lord and not for men. I think what we're seeing right now is the the other side of the coin as well. Because many of us have been furloughed or laid off or our work situation has changed to where we still have the same responsibilities but we don't have the right accountability measures in place. Our boss can't see my production as much, can't see my attitude behind my work, can't see what I'm bringing to the table because I'm working from home. Or we just feel like, I don't have a job, I don't, I don't get to work right now, so maybe I'm worthless, maybe I'm meaningless. And that's just not true. That's, that's vanity as well. When we think that our, our worth and our value is placed in our work and what we produce, and what we, what we accomplish and what we compile in our wealth, when we think that's our worth system, our value system, I think that's vain as well. Because most people who work extra hours really hard, who invest their whole lives into their work, by the time they retire or they're forced to retire for medical reasons, they will always say, I wish I didn't work so much. I wish I would have spent more time with my family before I lost my family. And a lot of those families would say, man, I wish dad was home more instead of working those extra hours. Sure, it's nice having the new shiny toy, 
but a PlayStation can't replace a dad at home. A, a new iPhone can't replace mom being present in the life of the family. It's, it's vanity is what it is. But if we labor for the Lord, then we have our priorities straight. And we know that we're to honor God by working hard while we're at work, but also our family's our first priority. Our family is where we should be placing our intentionality. It's where we should be serving the Lord first and foremost. So Paul said back in Colossians 3, work heartily in whatever you do for the Lord. Solomon said, if you're laboring without the Lord, it's, it's vanity. And now I'm saying I agree with those. We need to be working for the Lord diligently in our homes and at work and not forgetting to go to work and work hard, not forgetting that at home I have a job to do as well. Whether you're a husband or a wife or a father or a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a son, we have these titles, we have these roles that we need to work heartily in. And Solomon uses the family to kind of show us the model that we should follow, uses this family unit. And some of us, when we hear people talking about families, we tune out because we think, well, I don't have kids or I don't have a spouse. And, And I think we need to forget biological family as the only box that we can put family in and recognize that we have a role in a family that we are playing actively already, whether you realize it or not. And so we need to play that role heartily for the Lord. So whether you're working more during this season or working less, we should work heartily for the Lord. Whether you're home more this season or for some reason you're unable to be home as much, we need to recognize that time that we're serving the Lord diligently. So yes, you can work overtime and still honor the Lord. You can be furloughed and still be furloughed for the Lord. You could be laid off unemployed. You could have to work overtime. I know there's a lot of healthcare workers who are having to work different crazy hours. Some of them are having to work crazy hours and then still stay away from their families because they're quarantined. But they're serving the Lord by helping save and protect lives and still seeking for ways to invest in their family by FaceTiming, by mailing cards to their kids to remind them, yeah, yeah, I wish I was with you right now, but in this season, I'm serving the Lord here and I want to continue to be your dad by imparting wisdom, by celebrating you, by encouraging you and affirming you. And so this family unit that Solomon dives into, he uses the word children. And I think children is who he's talking about, but also it could be our influence. So yeah, your biological children, but also we're going to talk about our neighbor's kids, the next generation. For some of you guys, hearing the phrase children, you think of someone in their 40s or 50s. Some of us think of children in their early teens. Some of us think of children as babies and toddlers. But wherever you can influence the next generation, here's what Solomon's about to tell us to do in verses 3 through 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, an offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So children are a heritage from the Lord. Our influence on this next generation is a legacy we're leaving. Like I said, some of us are leaving a legacy of man, dad loved his job and he worked so hard at it. I wish he was home more. Or mom loved her job. She loved being home. She loved her job. But I wish she spent more time with us instead of on her job. I wish dad spent more time with us instead of on his laptop or on his phone. 
where are we leaving our heritage, our legacy? Because children are this legacy that we have from the Lord, a reward from him, arrows in the hand of a warrior. So I want us to break this down. There's three things that he says our influence can be. And the first one is a gift. Children are a gift. So these people that we're influencing, for me, I have, I have two young children at home. But I also have an influence on nephews and nieces. I have an influence on my neighbor's kids. I have an influence on the people in my community group. I have an influence on their children as well. Because I, I happen to be a pastor here at this church, we have several children and teenagers in and out of our ministries. I get to influence them. And that's a gift. That takes some rethinking because I'm getting to be old enough to where I think some teenagers are entitled and they listen to their music too loud. I'm beginning to get old enough to think that some toddlers and uh, elementary school kids have too much energy and just need to chill out. But instead, I could see that they are a gift. And these children, as a gift in my life, starting with my own two children, and then expanding to my extended family, and then my community and my church, what a gift it is to have this generation I can impact, have a heritage from the Lord that he said, you have an opportunity to teach them, to show them, to model them what it looks like to love me and follow me, or what it looks like to love something and follow something. What are you going to do with that time? How am I going to own up to that? If I have this gift in front of me, what a gift it is to know that my influence will live beyond me. I'm not promised tomorrow. I may live to be 35 or 95 or 125. I don't know. But if I saw this influence that I have on this next generation as a gift, then maybe I might live my life with a different model for them. I might be able to show them more specifically that they are a gift that they are made in the image of God, that they're loved by God, and in turn loved by me as I am to serve them and encourage them to grow to be who they need to be because they're not all going to be like me. Thank God. The second thing that he says is they're a reward. Children are a heritage from the Lord, an offspring, a reward from him. A reward is such a cool phrase because you, you win it. It's a prize. It's a, a big, it's a gift, but you've earned it in some way. For this, you earned that. And I think reward is really cool because reward shows how we interact with it. I think of that movie, A Christmas Story, when, when the dad wins the, the leg lamp. It's a, a reward, a prize. He won it. It's Italian, and it's this gaudy little lamp that he puts in the front window. He's so proud of it that this reward that he won has a place of belonging in his life. And I think it's, it's silly that it's a lamp and it's cheesy, but at the same time, we see in, in his life, he valued this. That thing meant a lot to him. So this influence I have on my children should mean a lot to me. They should have a sense of belonging. They should know that I value them above so much else. But if all I'm doing is working hard to build my wealth, to build my home and laboring in vain, then they might not see the belonging that they have. What they're going to see is they need to grow up and work hard, make a lot of money, and then you die. And that's not what life is about. We have a bigger opportunity in front of us. I like to think about quantity time versus quality time. Right now, a lot of us have extended quantity of time with our families, whether we're working from home or just stuck at home, sheltered in place. 
We've got limited outings, no extracurriculars. Our families are there with us. We have opportunities to FaceTime, to Zoom, to Marco Polo, to connect with people in endless ways. And we have the time. But is that quantity of time being blessed with quality? If your children are a reward, if, if you've got an influence that's a blessing to you that could be a blessing to them, how are you spending that time? Am I just going to sit on the couch and play on my phone while my kids go do whatever else? Am I going to make them watch the shows that I want to watch and provide a negative influence on them? Yeah, I've got all the time in the world to spend with them, but how am I spending that time? Our quantity matters, but quality matters as well. And if children are a heritage from the, from the Lord, a reward, then we should be serving them and celebrating them well, because this is a blessing for us, and not everybody gets that blessing. So if you have children in your home, how are you rewarding that experience? How are you showing them a sense of belonging, a value, a worth? Because your influence on them now is going to transcend what they become. When we think of the influence we have on our four-year-old, and I think what she's going to be like in 10 years when she's a teenager, in 20 years when she graduates from college or moves into the workforce or whatever she's up to, she's going to be doing some solid things that her parents modeled for her. But I also think she might have some baggage that we have left her with, that we have impacted her with. So I think we need to think through, how is this a reward? If you don't have children in the home, I want you to think, how are you rewarding the children you have an influence with? Whether it's your friend's kids, your neighbor's kids, your nephews, your nieces, this next generation that works with you? Are you going to be one of those boomers that just puts them down and says, oh, you're lazy and entitled? Are you going to speak worth and value into them? and treat them as if they're made in the image of God, because they are. And then this last one, an arrow. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Arrows are so cool. They're super trendy still, I think. You use them in decoration. People get like arrow tattoos. They're used for archery. And an arrow is pretty useless on its own. I mean, it just sits there. But an arrow matters because you can launch it towards something. To, to kill an animal to eat, to hit a target, hit a bullseye, to win a prize. Children are these arrows that we have, have in the hands of a warrior. So we're warriors and we have this blessing, this gift, this reward that we get to aim and shoot toward a direction. So my question there is, what are the targets? What are we aiming our children toward? Right now, it's easy for me to get caught up in guilt over the amount of screen time that we're letting our children have because there's limited options elsewhere. But I have to think, how am I aiming my children through this screen time? When we turn the screens off, what am I aiming my children toward? Are they knowing that I have a hope and a purpose and a future for them that aligns with God's hope and a purpose and a future for them? Because I have these arrows in my quiver and I'm blessed because I have a quiver full of these arrows, how am I going to launch them into something meaningful? I think that that kind of points back to verse one. A big thing I could do to launch them into something meaningful is to labor with the Lord and not labor in vain, to show them what hard work looks like, but also align that with the priorities that God would have for my life, align that with his hope for me and for my future. 
And with those arrows, I've, I've done some archery before. I've never really hit a bullseye. But at the same time, I know that that's a goal for us. When it comes to life in general, we all miss the bullseye. Many of us miss the target altogether. But when we focus and practice and work and aim and apply ourselves, we can aim that arrow and shoot it and hit the target really well, right in the center. And that bullseye helps us see, like, we have this this blessing, this child. And if my version of a perfect child is straight-A student, their first chair in orchestra and band, and they're the lead in the theater production, and they're also the starting quarterback and point guard and pitcher and leading hitter and, and tennis player and all those things, what I'm doing is I'm building these targets that may not be wise or accurate. But the opportunity I have is to aim my children towards a wise target. Would I show my, tar- would I show my children what it looks like to love the Lord? How, how that l- plays out in the way that I work hard, in the way that I value them, in the way that my priorities are in line in my marriage, in my parenting, in my work, in my leisure? What am I doing that would show them how to honor God, how to live a fulfilling life that serves the Lord, that loves my neighbor as myself. That's the opportunity we have with an influence on the next generation. It's to say you matter. For many of us, no one told us that we matter. And so we spent a lot of useless time chasing things that don't matter, that we thought might fill us up, that didn't fill us up. But now we have this influence and this extended time with this influence to say, you matter, you belong, and you're a big deal to me. Not just because I think you're a big deal, but because God has a big plan for you, a big purpose for you. And I want to do what I can to launch you towards that big purpose by encouraging you in the scriptures, by praying for you daily, by showing you what it looks like to be a godly husband or a godly wife or a godly friend or a godly child or a godly neighbor. I'm going to model these things for you. And so I want you to know that you matter, that you're made in the image of God. And when Solomon wrote this, they, they knew the people reading this, singing this, celebrating this, heading up to Jerusalem as they ascended for their pilgrimage, they knew what they needed to be living for. They, they recited daily the Shema from Deuteronomy 6 and said, Shema, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, as we go on through chapter six of Deuteronomy, he says, you should teach these things to your kids. Talk about them when you walk, when you sit at the table, when you lie down. Bind them on your doorposts. Hang up these scriptures around you so you would see them. And that was their whole priority structure. That was the whole model. And so Solomon's writing this in response to that, is if I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, if I'm supposed to talk about these laws, these scriptures with my family, then I should recognize that my children are a reward, a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift that I've been given, this influence that I've been given on this next generation. And I'm blessed because I have this arrow that I can launch in in a positive direction. And while I can only participate in so much change for the world, I can launch arrows through my influence to change the world for the better. It's that ripple effect. If I can make a little difference here, that difference is going to continue to expand. Blessed is the man who's got a quiver full of influence through children, through this next generation. I wish we would use our time wisely to consider that. 
And so as I close out, I, I want to issue a challenge, and then we're going to read the last, the, the first five verses, the only five verses of this psalm together. But the challenge is for you to consider as you reflect tonight or as you wake up tomorrow morning, would you consider who are you working for? I know grammatically that sentence doesn't make a ton of sense. For whom are you working would be how we would phrase it in literature. But realistically, who are you working for? When you go to work and you try to earn more money, you try to work more hours, why are you doing that? It's, I mean, there's realistic reasons. I got to pay bills. I got to eat. I got to feed my kids. But am I doing it so that my boss might be happy? Am I cutting corners so I could just get the job done? Or am I serving the Lord, working heartily for him? Because I don't want to labor and toil in vain. I don't want to get up early and stay up late just to eat more or have more things. I want to honor the Lord in what I do. So I want to encourage you to consider who you're working for. And my last challenge is that you would read Psalm 127 a couple times this week. So maybe you read it Thursday, Saturday, just to prepare for this Sunday's worship service. Maybe you read it twice in one day. It's only five verses, but consider how it might impact your life as you spend more time in the Word. So I'm going to read this and then close this in prayer, and, and I hope you would take the challenge seriously to consider who are you working for? How are you working for the Lord? Or if, if you're not, who are you working for? And then let's read this together a few times throughout the week. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the blessing it is to, to work, whatever work looks like for each of us in our different seasons and different stations of life. Would we work hard for you? So would you convict our hearts and show us what that looks like? And would you bless us with an influence on the next generation so that we might be launching arrows at targets that bring you glory? we might be leading children to know you and serve you, as well as leading our neighbors to know you and serve you. And we continue to pray for restoration and healing in this time. Would you show up in a miraculous way to be a blessing to your people? We thank you for Jesus and the grace that you give us through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week.